Hey everyone, welcome to the Cody Krillman podcast experience. Uh, in case you guys only follow me here on this podcast and nowhere else, um, maybe you should go to my YouTube channel and watch the video, I'm Not a Veterinarian Anymore. Uh, I think it's like seven or eight back. I posted it a couple of weeks ago, just explaining some context of my retirement from clinical practice or my, I guess, temporary retirement from clinical practice. So anyways, I have been enjoying some time at home and we have some fun projects coming up. And one of the things that I've been working on is the cow boss. So what the cow boss is, is a digital module based continuing education product for cow calf ranchers and also veterinarians, vet students, anybody who is interested in beef cattle health management. They can learn in a module based environment through the internet. And this, this, uh, audio podcast recording, I guess is, is what this is, is from a free webinar that I put on, on vaccination tips and tricks. So if you guys want to learn about beef cattle vaccination tips and tricks, then listen to the following audio. And yeah, if you're interested in knowing more information about the cow boss, uh, the first module goes live this week on Thursday and uh, you guys can get a hold of that information there. How that works is it is just a monthly subscription service. So you sign up on my website under CodyCroman.com, and then just you'll see on the first page it goes to the cow boss. You can see all the information there. All the modules after they're released will also be available for purchase piecemeal so like if you just want the preconditioning one or if you just want the obstetrics one or the beef cattle nutrition one then you can just purchase those but if you want the full module sort of system then uh, that's just a monthly service so yeah hope you guys enjoy this and i have lots of i guess audio coming out in the very near future so the cody chroma podcast lives on Thanks, everybody. Okay, so first off, we are making a uh, making the most for your vaccines. Four quick tips to implement now. Uh, so, vaccination. In case there's some of you who are completely new to the industry, um, you don't need to vaccinate your cows. Did you guys know that? Yeah, you don't. You don't actually need to vaccinate your cows if you run a perfectly closed herd with no contact to any other animals, you are bringing in all of your genetics via semen, embryos, you're raising all of your own replacement heifers, you could probably get away with a very extremely high health herd uh, without having to vaccinate. But in most cases, that is not very realistic. I think the only real world example that I've ever come across uh, in a very high health, high managed herd that did not vaccinate was a vet student who was from a dairy farm in the county of Cork in Ireland. Yeah, so he has a completely closed herd. Uh, his cows are in a barn and they don't bring any animals in and they have strict biosecurity and they do not 
vaccinate. But that's not real world. We bring in bulls. We have neighbors that roll in. We buy calves at auction marts. You know, there's a thousand different management things that we do that makes us need to vaccinate. So the typical times that we vaccinate are going to be at uh, usually at preg test or at pre-breeding. We're going to be vaccinating our mama cows, right? We're, we're usually going to be giving them a respiratory slash uh, abortion uh, vaccine. So I'm talking about things like IBR, BVD, PI3, BRSV, all pathogens that we're going to be vaccinating against. And then also the clostridial vaccines as well. So our black leg vaccine, that would very commonly be given either at the preg test in, in the fall season here in Canada. Did Cody just say he's from Canada? Of course he's from Canada. Sometimes people think I'm from like South Dakota. I guess I give off an American vibe. I'm certainly not Australian. <laughs> so you guys, these, um, you know, this is a, a great time when we're vaccinating uh, for these different for these different diseases in our cow herd. And then we're going to have our bulls, like our big breeding bulls. Those guys need to be vaccinated as well. I know they don't get as much care and attention as they probably should. At the very least, they need to get a clostridial vaccine, but we should also be vaccinating them with the same things we're vaccinating with our cows. So if we're using a modified live flyaway vaccine, then we need to uh, absolutely uh, vaccinate, um, you know, vaccinate those bulls. If we are um, you know, the only time that that may change is if we have some specific issue with our bulls, like uh, like foot rot. Maybe we could be looking into foot rot vaccines, but you have to be so careful and talk to your consulting vet or talk to your herd vet uh, because some of those vaccines aren't necessarily effective uh, and you may be wildly disappointed. Uh, the next time that we're going to be vaccinating is in the calves, right? So it's, it's very common to give uh, calves a, a five-way modified live vaccine or a killed vaccine uh, that protects against the same sort of respiratory pathogens, the, the IBR and the BVD, BRSV and PI3, we're going to be vaccinating them usually around six to eight weeks after they're born. And we're going to usually be adding on uh, some of the bacterial uh, pathogens as well. So Mannheimia hemolyticum that, that causes uh, shipping fever. And then sometimes also Histophilus somni will add into that as well. Uh, we're going to be vaccinating against the clostridial diseases. Sometimes we'll be adding tetanus on top of that. If we're banding our calves um, at, at an older age, we want to be preventing against tetanus. So that's extremely important. So that's kind of the time periods when we're vaccinating. And this talk is not about you know what the right vaccine is for your specific herd. That's what consulting vets are for. That is what your herd veterinarian is for. They know your risks. They know your challenges. They know the specific disease uh, issues in your area. Uh, going back over to the comments section, uh, we have one person saying, don't overlook exposure to wild animals um, such as PI, BVD, white-tailed deer. Uh, they've been found in this person's area. So absolutely, that's a challenge that, that exists within that environment. Uh, another thing that we could also be thinking of in terms of wildlife uh, contamination that we can vaccinate for is leptospirosis, right? So it's really important um, to be doing that. Uh, just seeing a slideshow program with the title slide showing, yes, I have not even got to number two yet. Um, <laughs> intro to the cowboys, which was number two. We already talked about that, uh, but I still just want to talk about you know the generalizations of the webinar. Uh, the other question that we're getting is PowerPoint available to view after the webinar. Yes, I will provide the PowerPoint and I will also provide you guys with uh with this thing as well any other questions i don't see any questions yet oh somebody says is there a student discount for cow boss 
I don't know. That's a great question. Right now, nothing's, it will never be cheaper than the founding member rate. Um, but I don't know if I'll have a student rate after the fact. That's a very good question. I didn't even think about you students, but I love you. Uh, what is the latest you would ban a calf and you would recommend uh, always giving tetanus? So if you banned a calf at birth, you do not need to give a tetanus vaccine. If you banned a calf at any other time, always vaccinate against tetanus. The latest, oh, the the latest, um, I, I don't like banding any later than weaning time, and I don't even really like doing it at weaning time, so as early as possible. Uh, CalBoss is a monthly fee. That's another question. Somebody says you need to press play again on your program. It shows up with a slide layout and toggle slides on the left as opposed to just the slide you're presenting. Um, what if I'm so scared to hit, I'm so scared to hit show. I don't know if you guys can see what I'm seeing. Can you guys see slide number two intro to the cow boss? I'm just going to wait. Okay. So yeah, you guys are seeing everything fine. Okay. Uh, somebody saying, are you making the C race approved? That's a great question. You know, this is continuing education designed for ranchers. I want this to be a rancher product. There's a lot of CE available for veterinarians, and I think that maybe it could. So if there's any veterinarians that are watching and you you see the information being disseminated and you think that would be continuing education for the veterinary space, then absolutely, I will look into getting race accredited. Um, no problem at all. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So... When it comes to vaccination, why do we care about vaccine handling and administration? Well, first off, vaccines are expensive. Uh, to vaccinate a cow herd is going to be about 5 or $6 per year. Uh, to vaccinate the baby calves, you, depending on if you're going to be doing a pre-weaning vaccination or a weaning vaccination, you could be spending 5 to $10, if not more, uh, vaccinating. So for a cow-calf pair, you could be spending you know $20 just in vaccines. So it is so incredibly uh, expensive. It's certainly worth it. There's certainly a great return on investment, but we need to be handling and administrating these vaccines properly. We need to recognize that vaccines are fragile. They are living organisms. A modified live vaccine is is a living thing. It, we reconstitute it with the with the water, the sterile water, or the diluent that is that it's given. And when we reconstitute a modified live vaccine, that is a living culture. That is a that those are living modified viral particles. Now we could have the debate of whether or not a virus is truly alive or not, but I don't even know if they're having that debate anymore. That was like my high school way back in the old days. So they, um, so they are extremely fragile. Things like heat, things like light, um, things like extreme cold, they can all denature our vaccine. And, and there's only so many vaccine particles in there for the vaccines to be able to respond to. Uh, or sorry, for the animal to be able to respond to. So, so we need to protect as much of that vaccine as possible before we administer it. Uh, meat quality assurance. We want to be making sure that we give that vaccine in the right place. Uh, we want to make sure that we're protecting our meat supply, that we're not vaccinating in weird areas and we're not vaccinating in the rump, uh, in the ribs, in, in high quality cuts, right? We want to be making sure that we're placing that vaccine in, in an appropriate place uh, in order to ensure that that 
ensure that meat quality. Uh, preventative health, of course, that's the, the crux of, of vaccination. Why do we vaccinate? Uh, it, but you know, you need to think about things like there is so many different things that we can think about when it comes to making sure that that vaccine is, is as um, efficacious as possible. Things like spreading your vaccinations apart throughout the year uh, can, can really change things and improve the overall uh, immune response. Things like making sure that you have a hands-width apart between two sites of vaccination if you're vaccinating on the same side. Or my favorite, if you have two vaccines and you have the ability, why can't we give one on the left side and one on the right side in order for the different lymph node chains to process those antigens uh, separately so you don't overwhelm the local immune system? Uh, that can cause a better immune response and then we have better preventative health. And the other things when we when we talk about vaccine handling and administration is human safety. Uh, I've seen my fair share of people who stick themselves uh, in the hands or in the legs with uh, with clostridial vaccines, other vaccines, and have terrible reactions. I remember a couple years ago, my summer student Colin. Uh, I sent him out to a branding, and he was vaccinating. And he called me, he said, Cody, I, I stabbed myself in the hand. And I said, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. He said, should I go to the hospital? And I said, no, don't worry about it. Just shake it off and, and you'll be fine. So he, uh, he messaged me in the morning. He says he's not coming in. He's in the hospital. And he sends me a picture of his arm. And he had a full-on septicemia. Like you could see where the infection had spread. So it can be extremely serious. Uh, I've heard of people having to get amputations because they have necrotizing fasciitis. Like it is so important to make sure that we're handling our vaccines properly and we're administering them properly uh, for overall human safety. Okay, it is mixing time. So with mixing, we need to know first off what, what vaccine we're using. Are we using a modified live or are we using a killed vaccine? Now, it is very, very important when we're using a, a modified live that we're, we are using the, the recommended uh, mixing instructions each Individual vaccine has different things. I think about the Vista vaccine product. That one, you actually are um, the the bigger. What is it? The bigger bottle is is something different. It's completely different than any other vaccine where you like put a little bit in and then you mix it back into the plastic larger bottle, and instead of leaving it in the glass bottle, and you're supposed to change the label over. So there's there's different vaccination mixing techniques. Uh, but the, the thing that's universal is to be aseptic, to be as clean, clean, clean as possible. If you guys have ever taken kids in to uh, get their shots, you see the, the health nurse take the, the vials out of the little cooler bag, and then they get an antiseptic wipe, and they wipe down the top of the vaccine bottle. Like, you know, that is not overkill. That is very, very important. So we want to be as aseptic as possible. It's not good enough to just kind of, if, if a cow poops on, on the top of that vaccine bottle and just wipe it with your shirt and go in there, we need to be so clean. We always want to be super clean um, when we're putting needles in because we don't want to contaminate that vial either. So it is not acceptable at all to be giving cows their vaccines. You know, you do cow number one and then same needles, cow number two, same needle, cow number three. And then you go to fill up your vaccine bottle and use that dirty needle inside that vaccine bottle. 
not appropriate. You can contaminate that bottle. You can contaminate other animals. You can cause abscess, uh, abscesses. You can uh, do disease transfer. So you want to be as clean as possible. Clean syringe, clean needle, always, always, always. Uh, remember when you are mixing up that vaccine to, to shake that bottle very, very gently, uh, you want to, you want, you do not want to cause any bubbles. You do not want to damage, physically damage those, those viral particles. You want to shake, swirl that bottle gently, and you want to make sure that there's no flex remaining because those flex are large clumps of, of viral particles altogether. And if you don't have even uniform distribution uh, of that vaccine, then then you are not going to have an adequate immune response, most likely. Also, remember that when you're when you're using a modified live vaccine, that they will deactivate after three or four hours once they're mixed, regardless of how well that you you store them and you protect them from UV radiation, you protect them from the heat, you protect them from the cold. Uh, they just deactivate. They are not very stable outside of the cow's body. So we need to make sure that we're picking the appropriate bottle size um, for your herd. So if you're if you're doing a slow activity like like semen testing, where maybe you're you're only getting through 50 animals in a day, you're not going to buy the 50 dose uh, modify live vaccine and expect that to last all day long. You're going to want to get 10 dose bottles um, for you know for those types of events uh, in order for you to make sure that they are they are getting fresh vaccine or as fresh vaccine as possible. One of my favorite things as a feedlot consultant to do was to go into the processing barn at lunch. And then go see if they left a, a modified live vaccine sitting out on the counter. Um, I, I could usually get over it if they put it on ice, put a cold pack over it, something like that. But sometimes it's just sitting there under the heat lamp while they go off for lunch. And now that vaccine is is destroyed. It is no good. Um, so you can just kiss $250 goodbye. The environment. So once again, the, the environment that we're working in is extremely important. Uh, so we want to really protect from extreme temperatures, UV radiation, extreme heat, extreme cold. They can all denature vaccinations. Um, I, I can't even count how many times that I've seen vaccine guns completely freeze up. And then, uh, you know, you got guys holding their hands around the needle, one that makes it really dirty but two that vaccine is now frozen and i don't know how efficacious it is and then you're waiting for it to warm up and then you inject the cow or i've seen guys where the needle has frozen and then they inject the cow and they know it's frozen and then they're waiting inside the animal to inject that vaccine i don't know how efficacious that is it's certainly not friendly to the cow uh we could just be wasting our money maybe we should be just squirting on the ground and, and or just calling it a day uh but we can be very proactive in protecting against extreme temperatures. And you don't need a fancy, you know, you don't need a fancy system, but you do need to be cognizant of what is the environmental temperatures out there. Uh, there's a variety of equipment on the, on the market. We have the cattle vac box. Uh, there's, there's a little picture of me down there, the cattle vac box. Uh, really straightforward, um, protects the vaccines, just keeps you organized, stuff like that. But you can even just use a styrofoam box, uh, get it from your local vet clinic uh to to help protect when you are in the really hot weather of course you're going to put the ice packs in those vaccine coolers to keep everything cold 
cold. And then in the cold weather, heat packs were great. So there's, you know, there's those mix up ones, uh, those heat packs uh, that you put in your mittens. Uh, some of you from Texas might not know anything about that, but, uh, but yeah, you have these little, um, I think they're kind of like iron, um, sort of compound things with a catalyst in it and you expose them to air and they start to heat up, put a bunch of those in a cooler and that'll help keep everything warm. You can use space heaters in a cooler setup. Uh, you just need to find some sort of solution just to be proactive in, uh, how you're going to be interacting with those, those extreme environments. There's nothing worse than branding time, hot sunlight, uh, just cooking those vaccine bottles. It can happen so fast proper equipment so we want to make sure that our equipment is well functioning and clean uh calibration of your multi-dose syringes is so incredibly important uh we want to make sure our syringes are administering uh, the correct dose so so let's say that um this is how you would do it so let's say you have a 25 mil syringe uh, what you're going to do is you're going to get a disposable syringe, right? And you're going to fill up your 25 mil syringe with water and you're going to put in a, a number of doses into that. So let's just say you set it at two mils and you're going to give 10 mils total. So five pumps. So then you pump your, your multi-dose syringe five times. And when you look at your disposable syringe that you've dumped it into, or you can use a graduated cylinder if you're a high school science professor, uh, what you're going to do is make sure that there is actually 10 mils in there because these vaccines are expensive and we also want to make sure that we're dosing the right amount. Uh, so that is so incredibly important. Uh, sterilization of syringes and transfer needles regularly. This is one of my favorite parts of this talk. Uh, one of the favorite things that I come across because people don't think about their syringes enough. Okay, so first off, no disinfectant goes inside the barrel of your multi-dose syringe. Never. Uh, the disinfectants, whether it's Dawn detergent or chlorhexidine or, or prepidine or Dettol, that will deactivate the vaccine. You cannot rinse those things enough to 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 clear off any sort of contamination. It, it is just absolutely impossible. You do not want any soap going inside of that barrel. When you are cleaning that, um, you know, you want to clean the outside of your syringe as, as good as possible. You can certainly use detergent on the outside of your syringe. You want it spick and span, but when you're cleaning that barrel, you have to treat it like gold. So rinsing it and the, for the ideal rinse, what you're going to want to do is use distilled water because there is in, in non-distilled water, just regular tap water, we think of it being pretty clean, right? But there's minerals in there, especially if you have hard water. And the minerals, uh, when that water dries, they deposit on the inside of the barrel. And the, that, those minerals can deactivate that va modified live vaccine. That's how sensitive that vaccine is. So what we want to do is we want to use distilled water uh, inside the barrel to make sure that when that water dries, there's absolutely no residue. One of the other things that drives me absolutely crazy is when I'm when, when I'm out at a ranch and and you see a cow that needs a shot of antibiotic. Uh, the farmer doesn't pull out a disposable syringe. He pulls out his multi-dose syringe that he uses for vaccination and he loads it up with 
with oxytetracycline or with penicillin, and then he injects that into the animal. And I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? That multi-dose syringe is for vaccines. If you put vaccine into that syringe now, you will completely deactivate all of the vaccine. Even if you rinse it, it is nearly impossible for you to get that oily oxytetracycline residue off the inside of that barrel. Uh, so you, oh, it, it drives me absolutely batty. If you, yeah, once it is an, an antibiotic multi-dose syringe, um, it stays an antibiotic multi-dose syringe forever. Um, make sure that you, you mark those things. Uh, you can also sterilize uh, your transfer needles and your syringes in the microwave. I'll include a link there. Uh, you can actually put the metal components in the microwave. You just have to be careful with them uh, and cover them with wet paper towel. Uh, I'll, put that, uh, I'll put that link in. Syringe maintenance is very important. I would say what's most commonly now uh, is that producers are just, re just repurchasing new multi-dose syringes. They're not even messing around with replacement parts as, as some of the products get cheaper. But it's certainly good to replace the O-rings regularly. I can't count the number of times that I've started a preg test and the producer hasn't looked at their, their multi-dose vaccine syringe in, in a year. And he goes to fill that vaccine up with the first 25 doses and it just all pours down his arm and his hand. I'm sure you've all been there um, for sure. Dis card any reusable syringes at the end of the day. Uh, they're cheap. Uh, that's what they're for. And you also want to store your syringes in a dust-free environment. One of the best places, you guys, once your syringes are dry, is to wrap, put them in a Ziploc bag and put them in your freezer, in your deep freeze. They, it's a dry environment. Uh, the cold will not, will not hurt the syringe. And uh, it's completely aseptic. So it just keeps it keeps meat fresh. So why doesn't it keep your syringe fresh? It is a great option. Uh, what else am I missing on that one? I feel like there was something else. Oh, I was going to say, there was this vet clinic uh, down in the U.S. that I saw one time, and they had this service where the producers could could turn in their syringes at the end of the year, like their their vaccination syringes, and they would clean them for them. They would autoclave them and sterilize them, and they would store them properly. And then you would come back and you'd say, oh, I'm here to pick up my syringes. And that that's a great way because storing them in a nasty old barn or, yeah, in an area where they're going to get full of poop is just not ideal at all. Hopefully you guys can see down here in the corner, uh, you see this multi-dose range and these little knobs. You can get the knobs um, on the back of these uh, color coordinated. So you have the red one, you have the blue one, and you have the yellow one. Uh, those things uh, coordinate um, with markers, and then you can know when an animal got that vaccine. So let's say you put your modified live vaccine in the yellow marker uh, ball vaccination gun, and then you injected that animal, and then you have the your your person who did that vaccination event marking that animal so you know that that animal's done it's really really uh easy thing to do when you're in the branding pen you give that calf the vaccine and then you give him his little yellow mark and everybody knows that he's got the yellow vaccine and then the person with their clostridial vaccine comes in and maybe he's got the red ball with the red marker he gives the vaccine and you're not mixing things up either so organization goes a long ways changing needles so 
you know, there's, there's a variety of different information out there on when you should change your needles. Obviously, if you're a dairy producer and you're, you have diseases like um, leukosis, you want to change your needle every animal. In most beef herds, we can get away with about every 10 to 15 head. Uh, you certainly don't want to continue if you have bent or bird needles. Uh, that is very, very important not to have any, um, you know, any chance of, of having your needle break inside of the animal. Uh, we want to prevent for meat quality assurance. So my general rule of thumb though, is just every time you go to fill your syringe, put a clean needle on before you put the needle in the vaccination bottle. So very simple rule of thumb. You have say a, a, a 50 dose or sorry, a 50 mil syringe and they're getting uh, 25, sorry. And they're getting 25 uh, doses out of that then change it. It's longer than, it's longer than 15 head, but even if it's like 25, well, Doxy's not going to have a problem with that. But if like, it's, if we've been preg testing all day and it's lunch and I'm like, how many times do you change that needle? And the answer is zero. We're going to have some words, old son. Mm, select needle size appropriate for animal type and route of administration. I have a table that I have included, um, whether or not you're giving subcutaneous or intermuscular, it's going to change your needle length. And then the needle gauge, uh, will also change depending on how big of animal that is. Uh, so this is a great reference point. You guys can sc screenshot this. This is going to be in the thing, but just make sure that you're using the appropriate length. If, you, if you're giving subcutaneous vaccinations all day and you're using an inch and a quarter needle, it's not going in the right place. We want subcutaneous products to go subcutaneously and intermuscular to go intermuscularly. Very, very important. Check your vaccine fridge. I know I grew up uh, with vaccines and penicillin sitting next to my milk and my cheese in my fridge. Uh, but that's not a great thing because, uh, what, what happens is, is, is you want to have a, a dedicated fridge, uh, that people aren't going in and out of all the time. The ideal storage for most vaccines is, is that two to eight degrees Celsius. And, uh, based off of this research in the University of Idaho, 67% uh, of producer refrigerators were deemed unacceptable, uh, that there were not within that range or did not stay in that range for an adequate amount of time. Uh, you also don't want to store your vaccine in the doors of the fridge. And Lord knows that's where my mom stored her vaccines was in the door of the fridge. <laughs> uh, so you just want to limit the access. Uh, you want to limit the number of times that refrigerator door opens up um, because that's going to warm up the fridge every single time. Uh, I've also seen um, there's there's little alarms that you can put on in your fridge to make sure that if it goes uh, above a certain temperature, below a certain temperature, an alarm will go off uh, and that'll alert you that you're that your vaccine is potentially in jeopardy and also make sure not to uh, freeze your vaccines. Always follow the label uh, in terms of the storage. If it, it'll give you a range of temperature and you need to follow that because those vaccines are so incredibly fragile. Good technique. Very, very important for a variety of different reasons, uh, very important in terms of efficacy. If we're giving it in the wrong place, we're not going to have a good effect. An example would be intradermal. So if you were giving that vaccine 
right into the cow skin, not under the skin, which is a subcutaneous technique. You're giving it into the skin. There's going to be minimal absorption of that vaccine and you're not going to mount an immune response. So it's so important to make sure that we're putting in the right place. And like I talked about with meat quality assurance, it's so important uh, to make sure that we're staying in the neck of that animal. We're not ruining other cuts of meat uh, through scarring, through abscesses. Uh, that that we're giving these these vaccines in the appropriate spot, which is in that triangle of the neck. Uh, you guys can see that uh, the cow model there of of where you want to give your vaccine. You want to be below the the nuchal ligament, which is that that top line on that cow's neck in front of the point of the shoulder and preferably above the jugular and the carotid artery. Uh, vaccinating directly into a carotid artery is never recommended. Uh, so, so you have that beautiful triangle that you can go there. Uh, always read the label when you are, are wondering it, nobody's going to judge you if you can't quite remember and it's preg test time that uh, you whip out the, the label and you read it and you see, okay, this is sub Q. Most vaccines are sub Q. Uh, if you're given the option between sub Q or I am always pick sub Q in terms of a meat quality assurance standpoint. Very, very important. Place multiple injections at least a hand width apart. I alluded to that earlier. Those vaccines need room to form localized reactions. Um, what happens is you have local reaction, local uh, immune response, and then you have a pickup of those antigens and they travel down the lymph chain. Uh, we need to spread things apart. If you're putting your clostridial vaccine directly on top of your modified live vaccine, it's just going to it's just going to overwhelm that local response, and we're going to have issues. As I also alluded before, one of my favorite things to do is really spread them out is to walk to the other side of the animal. I know that's not always practical, but if somebody asks what is the best vaccination approach, it's spread them out as best as you can. And there's no better way to spread them out than doing it on two opposite sides of the neck. Um... And then also when you're giving a subcutaneous uh, injection, always make sure that you are, are giving it uh, with appropriate technique. So there's a two-handed approach, but I prefer the one-handed subcutaneous injection technique where you insert the needle at a 20-degree angle to the animal's neck. Uh, and once you're through the skin, you roll your wrist just a tiny little bit, and it turns the needle away um, slightly from the animal, and it ensures that you're in that subcutaneous pocket in between the skin and, and in between the muscle. And then you dispense into the subcutaneous space. Uh, that injection should flow easily and you're going to have no back or no resistance and you're going to have no uh, backflow. Uh, so that's very, very important as well. So in summary, uh, why is this all important? So we want to, to make the most of your time effort and money. We want to avoid abscesses and deactivation of that vaccination. Um, mixing and time is so important. Mix the vaccines gently but thoroughly. And we want to use up that modified live vaccine bottle every two hours. Uh, in terms of environment, be clean and please protect your vaccines. Uh, protect them from the heat, from the cold, from the sunlight. You can denature them so incredibly easy. We don't want those things denatured. Uh, proper equipment, Remember to clean, calibrate, and use appropriate equipment. Change your needles um, when appropriate, after you bend them, after you burn them, and always use good technique. Read the label. Uh, always use neck injections subcutaneously when you can, and make sure that you spread your vaccinations apart. Okay. 
So you guys went kind of quiet in the comment section. Does anybody have any questions now? I'll leave things open for a little bit uh, while the questions are coming in. Uh, if you guys want more information on the cow boss, uh, go to codycurlman.com and also you guys will get a link as well. Um, and we'll, we'll make sure that you guys get all that info. But once again, it is a, the cow boss founding member, uh, subscription is $99 per month. And that is going to get you access to all 12 webinars. Those webinars are going to be two to three hours long. I'm laughing because this vaccine webinar was nearly an hour. And this was just a small, tiny part of, of what a module would be. I have no set time on the modules. I just will get through the information and answer you guys' questions and have one-on-one -on -one interaction. Uh, so that's a $99 monthly subscription up to 200 people. We're going to cap it on Sunday. We're going to shut that down. It'll never be available for that again price again and we are also going to cap it at 200 people um as well uh, you know this this price point is just a, a thank you back to you guys the community that has followed along for so long that has consumed all of the content that i've thus put out and i i may do some more free webinars because this was super fun um but but yeah that's what the where the product is at it is just in my store uh you guys will see that founding member thing in the store it's just an online item that you guys will be able to pay there it is an auto um it, like an auto pay type thing and you'll get tons of other great information and also there's some added bonuses there we're gonna for the founding members there's going to be the opportunity for you guys to connect with me on a facetime call one-on-one uh, -on -one for anybody who who wants to do that and schedules that uh, discount on any um, high level consulting that you want to do as well uh, so the founding member thing is is that product that is that is laid out in codycrillman.com and i will answer some questions out like i said that um, that membership thing is going to three hundred dollars uh, on Monday. If you guys want access to all twelve, and if you guys want access to just the individual ones, it's going to be four ninety five. Remember, guys, this is Canadian dollars, so if you're in the U.S., it is basically free um, because of our exchange rate. Uh, okay, I'm going to get in the questions now. Thank you guys. Uh, if you guys are jumping off right now, thank you so much for, for joining and uh, I really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. Uh, discuss needle gauge length. I always forget. Okay. We talked, we talked a bit about the needle gauge thing. It is in here, uh, but you can see the different gauges um, are available. So we re do a recommendation of 16 all the way up to 20 gauge. So the 16 is a bigger bore. So it's a, a thicker needle. Uh, it's more appropriate for animals that are larger or if you're using um, a, a really thick type product, like giving oxytetracycline, like a biomycin type product is really difficult to do in anything, but that's not a 16 gauge syringe. Uh, whereas a 20 gauge syringe, you know, that's for, that's for, when we're trying not to damage muscle as much as possible, that's for smaller animals, uh, smaller animals that uh, you're going to be giving an intramuscular injection. So you always want to have the smallest gauge needle as possible or the, the, the lowest, sorry, the highest gauge as possible, which is the smallest needle possible. I don't know why they did that. 
Somebody says, fantastic presentation. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I don't think I've ever had a successful vaccination event. Oh, I don't think I've ever had a successful vaccination event after this webinar. Exactly. This is what I'm trying to provide to you guys. This is the great information that I'm trying to disseminate to the world so you guys aren't screwing up every time you go vaccinate. I'm just trying to help you out, you guys. Okay. Tips for nasal vaccines. We didn't even get into nasal vaccinations. Tips for nasal vaccines. Okay, the most important thing to remember when you're doing an internasal vaccine is, yes, always read the label, but most of the time you can you only have to use one nares, one one nasal passage when you in, when you do the injection. You want to restrain the animal um, when possible, as as well as possible. Use one of those nasal tip cannulas. It aerosolizes the the nasal vaccination a little bit better. But always remember that they put way more viral particles than is actually needed in order for there to be that mucosal response. So even if there's some like drip back, it's designed for there to be some drip back. So don't panic when you see a little bit of vaccine pouring out of the nose, as long as you're doing everything else possible, uh, as well as possible, then, then, then you're good. Uh, somebody says, is there certain multi-dose syringes that you prefer to use? No, I don't. I do like the plastic ones. Um, I don't know. I, I just found some of the metal and glass combination ones. There, it was just really hard to start finding parts for them. Um, so my preference is just to use like a good quality multi-dose syringe. Um, you know, you don't have to buy the most expensive, but don't buy the most cheap one. And then when it breaks, then you can just not feel too guilty and get rid of it and get a new one. So my favorite multi-dose syringe is a new one. How about that? Uh, what about the steromatic system? I don't know anything about the steromatic system. What about placement of Draxin or Zuprivo and other arrival va uh, vaccines? So remember, Drax. Oh, and the other arrival vaccines. Okay, sorry. I thought they were saying that Draxin or Zuprivo was a vaccine. So for you guys who don't know, Draxin or Zuprivo are uh, on arrival metaphylactic antibiotics that we use uh, in the feedlot setting. Um, so an antibiotic is given to those animals on arrival, and then we're also giving vaccines. So how do we address that? So what you want is you want to make sure that you're vaccinating on the opposite side of where you're giving that, that metaphylactic antibiotic uh, that's given in the neck. So if you're giving it on the left side, you want somebody working on the right side giving both vaccines on that side. You don't want to have be too close to it. The Draxanuzuprivo is a little bit higher volume, right? Around six six mils for a six weight. That's going to spread out over the subcutaneous tissue uh, to some extent. And if you have vaccine there, you're going to you're going to denature the vaccine, and you do not want to do that. So so split them, spread them out as much as possible. What is the max vaccines you should give at one time? Um, it depends on what type of vaccine. Uh, one of the big things to, to think about is, is the animal pregnant or not pregnant? So in pregnant animals, we don't want to overwhelm them with endotoxins. Uh, there can be endotoxins in those vaccines. So like giving a, a clostridial vaccine, uh, with a, um, say a, a, a scour vaccine could potentially overload them because the scour vaccine is pretty hot when it comes to, to vaccines and how they, those animals respond. So it's really what type of vaccine first. And then, and that's a great question for your veterinarian specifically is, is it okay to give my scour vaccine with this? Is it okay to give my scour vaccine, my clostridial vaccine and my, my eight way altogether? 
Um, so you have to, you, you have to be cognizant of it. Um, you can give multiple vaccines. You could give three different shots, um, if they're the right combination. So you have to make sure. How environmentally sensitive are killed vaccines compared to modified live? Killed vaccines are a lot less sensitive. Uh, you certainly can mess them up, uh, but modified live are very, very, very sensitive. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. You are very fun and informative. Uh, I wish you were in Texas. God bless you, Cody. Uh, thank you so much. I do have some speaking in Texas coming up. Uh, Diane and the kids and I are going on a little bit of a tour as well. So we're going to, um, I think I have some dates in Dallas and Houston or something like that uh, coming up in 2020. So I will see you in Texas, but uh, yeah, I will, you know, you guys know my style. I want to disseminate this really good information to you guys, but also be somewhat entertaining to watch because there's nothing worse than Bueller, Bueller, Ferris Bueller. Can you discuss intranasal vaccination? <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm sorry, guys. I see people leaving. I'm going to try to talk as fast as I can to get through all of the questions. Okay. But they keep coming in faster than I can talk. Can you discuss intranasal, intranasal vaccinations? So I already went through the administration, um, but I think intranasal vaccines are a very good thing. Uh, and when it comes to mounting a mucosal um, immune response. Uh, what the best thing about nasal vaccines are is you don't have to worry about maternal interference from colostrum. So the calf drinks colostrum, there's antibodies circulating against what the cow was vaccinated against. When you give a, a, a regular vaccine, uh, what happens is that animal doesn't mount a great immune response because there's already circulating antibodies from the mom's colostrum. That does not happen with intranasal vaccination. So you can get a um, mucosal immune response, uh, not a systemic immune response that is very effective, uh, regardless of how old that calf is. Somebody says, I thought, I thought I knew how to do this and I'm blown away of how much I've been doing wrong. That's the point. Uh, that's why I have a job. That's why I used to have a job. That was my job as a beef cattle veterinarian is I would get to go in and I would get to consult with people. And some people don't have access to, to beef cattle veterinarians. Uh, so I'm sorry you've been doing it wrong, but you have. Great listening while checking heifers and moving fence. Thank you. We are doing it all wrong. Uh, emoji like that. I use long range dewormer in the spring. Uh, dedicate vaccination gun just for that. Uh, it's very thick and oily. Yes, do not do not use a dewormer product like a like a long range, and then vaccinate with that gun. <laughs> later uh you will never be able to clean the long range out that out of there appropriately uh do not do that uh, another question stop throwing my bottle top syringe in my fridge and using it uh, with the same product six months later it's not a good idea no i just saved you hundreds of dollars you're welcome i've always pulled the skin out a little from the triangle uh but i think you said that as improper no i said there's multiple techniques when you do subcutaneous there's a two-handed technique where you pull it with your hand and and give it uh i prefer the one-handed technique and not saying the two-handed technique is bad number one it's safer because then i'm not going to poke myself in the hand uh and number well so i'm not going to poke myself as number one and number two i only have one hand in the shoot so if an animal moves towards me, I'm only crushing one hand and not two hands. So that's why I like the one-handed. 
Any reason to use killed versus modified live, that's completely dependent on your herd health uh, recommendations from your local veterinarian. So in general, killed are, are, are safe to use in pregnant animals. They can mount very good immune responses. Um, so they're just a more flexible option. When it comes to modified live vaccines, there is always the potential worry for for um, not setting those animals up appropriately uh, pre-breeding with giving them uh, the appropriate number of doses with the modified live. So if you don't have those cows set up appropriately and then you give them a modified live while they're pregnant, you can cause things like IVR abortions. So my preference usually to stay, have the best of both worlds is giving a modified live pre-breeding and staying on that program. But sometimes giving cows a vaccine pre-breeding is just not an option. Uh, we're not running those cows through at that time. So we have to give it a preg test. So I think each have their merits and it's certainly something that you need to discuss with your local vet. What do you think of the efficacy of combination vaccines in terms of immune buildup against all components? In Europe, multivalent vaccines aren't quite as common in North America. Uh, we most often use single agent vaccines, except for BRD and CAPS, perhaps. Yes, I think we can overwhelm uh, the immune system to some extent, but that I think some of that um, is still be still needs to be proven by science. Uh, if you look at the human vaccines and what they're doing, they're using like 12-way combination vaccines and they're, they're apparently effective because I haven't got polio yet. So I, I think we need to be careful and I would love to, to spread out vaccination as much as possible uh, in order to have the best immune response. But that said, there's a practical side to it as well. And sometimes we do need to use combination vaccines. Uh, <laughs> what is this question? Oh, Ben. <laughs> okay. When ben <laughs> I, uh, so I won't even say what I read. When, when, ben <laughs> when banding a six month old bull calf, <laughs> should a person administer uh, a CDT product? I assume that means tetanus. I have heard of two different types of tetanus products being recommended. Maybe an anti-serum, if I remember correctly. So in general, I would recommend that if you're banding a six-month-old bull calf to only use tetanus, uh, to use tetanus vaccine, um, if you have an animal that's affected with tetanus, then you can give the antitoxin or the anti-serum. But that is completely up to your local veterinarian, depending on, on the area and what the herd vaccination strategy is against tetanus. Uh, another question, what are your thoughts on intranasal, uh, on feedlot arrival? I've looked a lot at the literature. Uh, I think there's some cases where intranasal vaccination I'm a big fan of. And I think there's some cases where, um, on arrival vaccination, uh, with injectable systemic, uh, vaccine is, is advantageous. So it depends on which pathogen we're looking at, what the stress level of the animal is. Uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. So there is certainly a home for intranasal vaccine on feedlot arrival. You just have to make sure it's the right home for it. With your background in feedlots and postmortems, is there any pre-weaning vaccine products that you definitely want to see used for coverage? Yes. And that will be in module one of the Cow Boss program. Uh, I'm going to go through all through pre-weaning, uh, pre-conditioning, 
So that's my teaser for there. We'll, we'll talk way more in detail about pre-weaning type strategies. Where should we put the vaccines and calves at branding? You should put it in, it in, in the neck. And I know that there's some people that do the armpits or do the ribs or I get why it's logistically more difficult to give it in the neck, depending on what type of branding, like you're wrestling versus you're using Nordforks. Like there's different ways to do it. I get it, but we should always be advocating as an industry to put vaccines into animals' necks and necks only. Okay. There's some questions in Q and A. Uh, so I got through the chat and then there's just some Q&A. When giving a black leg vaccine to calves, why do I sometimes end up with a hard lump where the vaccine was given like a week later? Okay, so why do those lumps happen? Hygiene, 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 uh, usually the big ones. So are you using a clean needle? Um, was the animal clean when you were giving that injection? Uh, you know, the, it is very, very easy for you to draw bacteria underneath of the skin. The other thing that I think about is technique to some extent. So if you're giving a vaccine intradermally as opposed to subcutaneously, uh, that's something that you need to think about. But that said, I don't want to like blame you um, because black, I have seen it with people doing exceptional technique, you know, vet techs uh, that have their own cow herd that are doing everything perfectly and they still end up getting these lumps or bumps. These are just localized vaccine reactions or abscesses. Uh, somebody asked, do I prefer live vaccine versus killed? We've talked about that. Have you ever dealt with many vaccine reactions that cannot be attributed to producer error? Yes, I think so. Um, anaphylaxis, vaccine reactions are just a, a necessary evil at part of of administering foreign compounds into animals and sometimes anaphylaxis can occur and is not the producer's fault. It is always important to have a first aid kit um, available. You want to have epinephrine always on hand when you're doing any vaccination event. And you're also going to want to potentially make sure that you have either an antihistamine or a steroid, whatever your veterinarian recommends, but you want to have this first aid kit on hand, ready to go, ready to give a calf if you notice it's an anaphylaxis. Uh, very, very important. If you ever use soap in your multi-dose syringe before, should I just toss it out now? <sighs> Probably. I would just rather everybody who's watched this webinar just start fresh and just do things properly. If you're working cattle and you have calves that are younger than six weeks old, yes or no, going ahead and vaccinating these younger calves, it is, it is a challenge. Um, you're going to have, if you vaccinate calves younger than six weeks, you're not going to mount as good of immune response than if they were age appropriate. <laughs> Did he just say age appropriate? <laughs> if they were age appropriate, but, um, in terms of management, uh, sometimes I get why we have to vaccinate four-week-old calves because we're turning them out to grass and they just need to go. And I would rather they get vaccinated at four weeks old and go out to grass than to, to not get vaccinated at all. So that is very important. Last question. Very last question. Thank you guys so much for coming 
Ian, um, thoughts on first defense, track shield, and combating scours and calves. Is there a less expensive option? Cows are being given scour boss pre-calving. Once again, I think it has to be, that's a conversation with your local herd veterinarian because they know the exact pathogens and challenges of your specific herd. Are we dealing with coronavirus? Are we dealing with rotavirus? Are we dealing with cryptosporidium? You know, there's so many different things that go into making a really, um, well-educated, tailored vaccination protocol. So I think there's places where first defense is appropriate, and I think there's places where scour boss is appropriate. 